This is a Federal News Network podcast. A bill that would return much of the federal workforce to the office heads for a House floor vote this week. The Stopping Home Office Works Unproductive Problems, or Show Up, Act would return federal employees to pre-pandemic working conditions. The Republican-led bill has a low chance of being enacted, but it is drawing concerns from Democrats. Here with details, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And Drew, let's begin with who this bill would actually impact in the short run should it become law. This bill would impact federal employees who were working in person prior to the pandemic, but were teleworking starting in 2020. So if enacted, the Bill Show Up Act would give agencies 30 days to make the change and return any of those federal employees back to the office full time. The House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer, who introduced the bill, he emphasized that it wouldn't mean everyone is going back in person, but it would largely reduce the amount of telework for the federal workforce. He focused a lot on the delays and backlogs at a couple agencies like the IRS, the State Department, and the Department of Veterans Affairs, and was saying that employees need to go back to the office. He said that those delays, backlogs were a result of telework from federal employees. So that's really the take on this bill. Essentially, then, it would go back to whoever had telework dispensation before COVID would continue to have it. And those that kind of went down to the ranch and saw how great the COVID-induced telework really was, the telework anyway, sorry, you got to go back and go through channels as you would have before the pandemic, in other words. Right. Essentially, it would return the federal workforce and how it was broken down back to what it was in 2019 before we ever had the COVID-19 pandemic. So they're basically trying to return the federal workforce to how it looked a couple of years ago. And just review for us some of the numbers, how many federal employees are actually teleworking at this point? Currently, we have about a quarter of federal employees who are teleworking at least three days a week. That is a bit down from what it was at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. At its maximum, about 47 percent of the federal workforce was teleworking. So it never hit the even halfway point for the amount of federal employees who are teleworking. And You know, I think that that just speaks to the fact that there are a lot of federal jobs that require in-person attendance to be able to come to work. And the trends, according to data from the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, or FEVS, that's basically where all these numbers are coming from. And in the latest report, it was also 20 percent of respondents who said they don't telework because their job requires them to be on site. Sure. And anyway, teleworking means something as individualized as each person. Lots of people, I'm going in once a day, so I'm teleworking four days. I'm teleworking three days. I'm home one day. I mean, there's really no single definition. But we do know that downtown, at least to the mayor, and we'll get to that, feels like there's an emptying out that has happened of the federal government. So let's talk about the bill, though, first, beyond getting people back to where their telework levels were before the pandemic. That's not all that's in this bill, is it? Right. There is a little bit more contained in the Show Up Act. So it's important to remember the bill language at least the way that it's written, says that this immediate return to office spaces is temporary at least, but not necessarily permanent. What it does would require all agencies to study the impacts of telework on their workforce productivity, and they'd have to report that to Congress on how pandemic-era telework affected their missions. They'd also have to look at information on agencies' spending toward federal property leases, 
and the cost of locality pay based raises for employees who weren't working in the office, but were still getting those raises. So after all of that information is collected, agencies would then have the opportunity to, again, expand telework, but only if they could certify to Congress that it would have a, quote, substantial positive effect on work performance. And that gets to one of the crucial questions is how much office space do you need if you have 100 people and they are teleworking 40% of the time? Do you need 40% of the space or do you need 100% of the space because everybody's there sometimes? And I don't know what the equation is for that. I haven't. I don't think anybody's figured that out yet. And this is basically a Republican-backed bill, correct? I mean, is there any Democratic support for it? It is a very partisan bill. It has 20 Republican co-sponsors so far, and no Democrat is in support of the bill. But according to Comer and other Republicans in favor of the bill, the expansion of telework during the pandemic led to a lot of big backlogs and delays at agencies, and Republicans blame those on the use of telework during the pandemic. There were delays, for example, in assistance to veterans, tax refunds, and passport applications. And those are ways that the Republicans say that telework has negatively impacted federal services. But according to the National Taxpayer Advocate and their annual report, the IRS has made significant progress in digging out of its backlog. So There is an argument in the other direction as well that, you know, a lot of these delays and backlogs weren't necessarily the result of telework and have made progress to reduce them at this point. But Comer said that it's a bigger issue than that as well. There is a significant percentage of the federal workforce that's still not coming to work because of COVID. We believe that they need to come back to work. We're not picking on the federal employees. There's always going to be workers that telework for various reasons. We just want that number to be back to what it was pre-pandemic levels in 2019. We're not saying nobody can telework, but we just want those levels back to what they were before COVID because we believe that there are a lot of federal employees that have taken advantage of the situation. All right, and that's Congressman Comer. I can imagine what the Democrats say about the Show Up Act. The Democrats, of course, are opposed to this bill, and they say that although there are some positions that cannot telework, so frontline federal employees, they say that the pandemic has proven that telework is functional for the government. There are advances in technology. It's better for competing with the private sector when it comes to recruitment and retention. Democrats argue that the availability of telework for federal employees is a really important tool for bringing in more workers to the federal workforce. Federal retention is already a challenge for agencies. Ranking member Jamie Raskin on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee says the lessons learned will continue forward. Now there is no going back. Enhanced demand for telework in the national workforce and among federal employees will continue as workers and supervisors report enhanced productivity and focus to remain competitive with the private sector with which we compete for talent. The federal government must offer reasonable telework options. Telework saves money, helps the government recruit top talent, reduces traffic gridlock, makes environmental sense, and ensures the continuity of operations at agencies that families, businesses, veterans, and others rely on every day. I guess he hasn't been on the Beltway during rush hour lately, but somehow somebody's on the road, but maybe not federal employees. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks so much. Thank you. And be sure to check out her story on that latest hearing on the Show Up Act at federalnewsnetwork.com. 
Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know so often when you'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he he, he faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. 
uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I. I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it, and, and, and the inclusion and the at special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I'd mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.